Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Oh, look at my front butt. <laughs> Actually, unaware that you had a new film in the works, but 
when I saw that, I, I, I was definitely intrigued. So uh, I'm, I can't comment on it, obviously, as I haven't seen it yet, but I'm really excited for it. So congratulations on that. That's, uh, that's, that, that's another cool uh, addition to your filmography, for sure. Well, well, thank you. you know, it was, uh, it, it's been a dream of mine. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, like, it, it's been a dream of mine to do Frankenstein since I was like eight years old. Uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Uh, keep in mind, was in a bridge, but it was the first book I ever read from start to finish as a kid. So it's very near and dear to me. Nice. It's like the mad acid drenched love child of Jess Franco and Andy Milligan. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Um, All right. I'm, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Yeah. Now, now see, now, now this, this is why we love to have guests on the show because this is the kind of nonsense that, that uh, Stephen and I talk about every week. We need a, we need a third voice to come in and, uh, and remind us that, yeah, we're all in, insane film geeks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's funny you brought up Andy Milligan, not because uh, he has that box set coming out, because you know for a fact if you said that, nerd, he'd probably call and go, "Ah, eh, Seb, you're full of shit." <laughs> uh, well, you know. It's- it's funny you should say that because just two nights ago I, I broke down and I I pre-ordered that box that I had to have it. <laughs> Stephen and I were talking earlier about buying the box set and you you jumped on it, huh? You got you got I right jumped on it. on it, man. I had to. It's gonna look so nice next to my Al Adamson set. Yes. Oh, nice. Yes. It, will you yes, it will. You see, I had to get the one that doesn't have the book because they're only shipping the book within the United States. Mm. Oh. Weird. Yeah. No, the book That's itself, weird. if you look at it, if you own the box set and you haven't read the Never, the book on Milligan, you need to read that first before you watch this movie. It's like a roadmap or you'll be confused as hell. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, because I need to, I mean, here's, here's where I become a bad fan. I need to read the book. But that being said, uh, it's true. You can't really go into Milligan's filmography without knowing about the man himself. Because if you don't, it's, it's unbearable. But if you, if you have, like, some understanding of who he was as a human being, uh, they start to kind of, sort of, almost, if you squint, make sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, he definitely, uh, he definitely had his, uh, I'll just say, finger quote, quirks. Uh, he, yeah, but you're right. Uh, reading the book 
uh, or just reading anything about him in general uh, brings you around to more of an idea of, like you said, what he's like as a person. And then it's not like you can really forgive everything that he put on, on, on celluloid, but you can at least understand like, well, you know, I guess this is where this guy was coming from, you know? And it'll yeah. make you pissed off that much that more of his non-horror stuff is not available. It's lost. Yeah, like all of his like more avant-garde uh, personal works, the, they'll never be seen. Yeah, he yeah, seems to have. Like, uh, well, some of his early stuff uh, kind of felt like uh, like Kenneth Anger uh, stuff to me. Um, but like oh, you guys are saying, yeah, yeah he kind of had that Kenneth Anger energy with some of those early short films. But like you guys, you know, yeah, it, we'll never see those films again. They disappeared quickly. Uh, and even in a digital age, it's strange to to think that we'll probably never see that stuff again. Uh, you know, it's um. I'm oh, so good. Oh, I'm sorry. Stephen was just breaking up on me, so I didn't hear what the question was. But uh, go ahead. Oh, I was actually. I thought that I cut Stephen off too. He he broke up on my end as well. No. Oh, all right. My bad. Well, what I I, I can't hear him right now, but what we wanted to talk about was um, uh, we wanted everyone to go around the room and talk about like maybe uh, some of your uh, say how much we don't know how much time you have, but uh, if you want to go around and talk about like films uh, and we do have uh we do have rules on this show. There's a difference between cult films and midnight movies. And I know, you know, the difference. So, uh, so, so if you had to pick like your number three, we'll, we'll do a countdown three, two, one. If you had to pick your number three cult film of all time, which film would you pick? My, my third favorite cult film of all time. Yep. You know what? You're, you're going to laugh at this. You're gonna laugh at this because uh, <laughs> because we were just talking about Milligan. I would honestly say the body beneath. Right. Okay. I think now, it's his what? most. I think it's his most thematically interesting film. Uh, the idea of vampires obsessed with purity through inbreeding is uh, just inspiredly depraved. The um. This is the whole anti-American rant at the end comes out of nowhere and it's born out of such pure <laughs> spite. Uh, like, there's so much going on in that movie. It's like it's, people can complain that a lot of his movies feel very stagnant. I think that Body Beneath has the opposite issue. It's so hyperactive at times. It's insane. Um, yeah, it's my like, number three is Body Beneath. It's almost like he made he made three short films and then just jammed them into one full length feature. He was just like, ah, <laughs> like, I, 
None of this like one of them has... like yeah, like one of them's like a Dracula movie with like the vampire moving across from the couple, and then one of them's like a movie about this hunchback who's being mistreated by the vampires, and the other's like about vampires wanting to move to America to renew their bloodline. It's a very wild movie. <laughs> Yeah, he just smeared Vaseline on the lens or something. I don't know what was going on there, but it's awesome. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. It is, yeah. And it just seems like you watch any million film, you're going to get the hunchback. Yeah, it's true. You need the hunchback. He always put a hunchback. You know what? Good for him. He, yeah. he knew what the audience needed. They needed hunchback. Yeah. And, and the anti-family. All right, Stephen. Uh, what, what's, what's, what, what's your number three for cult, cult films? Uh, I'm going to put back a two in there because it's the same director and it's Hanos Cosmatos' Beyond the Black Rainbow and Bandy. I really can't pick between them. Yeah. um, You and I have talked about this before, uh, uh, but uh, I like Beyond the Black Rainbow Mandy, I I guess I enjoyed it, but it, I didn't like it as much. I I didn't think it was as good as Beyond the Black Rainbow, but um, let's discuss. Sebastian, what did what, what did you think? Uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, you know, that was like a an aesthetic treat for me. That was like a very uh, aesthetically and visually engrossing film. It's a pure experience, and I can't fault it for that. Mandy, on the other hand, now you want to talk about a movie that feels like three movies put into one. Um, <laughs> Mandy is a movie right. where it's a movie of two halves, and I enjoy both halves. It's an hour of an art film and then an hour of a crazy Nicolas Cage rampage film. And so I think just on a pure visceral level, I think I enjoy Mandy more. Yeah, I uh, uh, yeah, like you. Oh, go ahead, go Stephen. On. No, you go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, um, yeah, I I enjoy uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow visually uh, much more. So, so I agree with what you're saying. Uh, yeah, Mandy has has a much more. Uh, there's more action. There's there's more of a, you know, of that to it, but, uh, I don't know. I still, I, I still care more for beyond the black rainbow. I think, I think, uh, and it, it, maybe it just is the visuals. And as I stated at the beginning of the show, I've smoked a lot of marijuana today. So I enjoy, I enjoy things that are visually appealing. <laughs> well, don't, don't ever let anybody knock you on that because, you know, people forget film is a visual medium. And at the end of the day, the image should always take, uh, a, importance overall so i respect that yeah and yeah. i do yeah. love the mandy because of mandy i want to turn the lights on the lights turn into like a musical keyboard like the chemistry mm-hmm. 
like a madman on screen and that's fun and all but he's a very underappreciated physical performer as well i think he's very good at communicating with almost no language or no dialogue yeah i think i think uh some of his best uh performances were uh um were in uh i mean of course everyone celebrates him for uh leaving las vegas but uh, and he won an Oscar for that, but I think he was really great in Dead Ringers, uh, the Scorsese film, uh, and even I, I think he I think he found a good mix between his uh, like like you're saying his physical acting and his uh, you know his manic like Nick Cage. Um, acting style as well. So, uh, I thought he was really good in that. And, uh, Oh, I really like face off. I think he, I think he face off was the role that he was born to play. Uh, really? I mean, you know, he goes into his whole, uh, they took my face off. That was the scene that Nicolas Cage was born to play. <laughs> yeah. How about you? What's your number? Because 
it, it, it goes through different time periods. And so you see, uh, uh, you see Mike Patton's character playing different, uh, different characters through uh, an extended time period. So it's a very interesting film. If, if, if you guys haven't seen it, you should, you should look for it. Uh, Firecracker, uh, Directed by Steve Balderson. So that's my number three pick for extremely cool cult film. So now it's back to you, Sebastian. What do you got? (laughs) My number two is a film that is very near and dear to me and has been for a long time. And, uh, you know, of course, there's a Frankenstein film on this list, and it's Paul Morrissey's Flesh for Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Starring you Udo Kier and Joe Delisandro. Exactly. <laughs> One of the greatest lines ever committed to celluloid. Um, I discovered Flesh for Frankenstein when I was about 13 years old. I got both it and Blood for Dracula together because I was a huge classic horror nut. And I brought those movies home. And they fucking melted my brain. <laughs> and I've uh, held, held flesh very near and dear to me, especially. Um, uh, Paul Morrissey reinvents Baron Frankenstein as an incestuous uh, proto-Nazi who wants to create a race of perfect uh, creatures to reflect the Serbian ideal. It's uh, If you haven't seen this movie before, anybody listening, you have to seek it out. It is a, a masterpiece. Yeah, all, all of those movies that came out of the uh, the Warhol uh, factory are—they're all friggin' amazing. I mean, if if you have any lust for cult cinema, then uh, yeah, find all of those movies. Uh, you know, for sure, that one's brilliant, and you know. Like I said, I'm I'm drunk and high. I admitted that at the top of the show. I can't remember <laughs> any of the other ones, but but you know, you know, you guys know. You tell yeah, like the people. Flesh, I'll... trash, heat. Yes, yes, yes. Thank uh, you. Trash. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Someone put a picture today of a little six-year-old kid wearing a, a Paul Morris bad T-shirt. Nice. Does he like doing hood rat things with his friends? <laughs> I, I don't know. That 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 there's that there's that meme that goes around with the little kid wearing like the big giant T shirt and it says, I like doing hood rat things with my friends. I don't I don't, I, I mean, I get the reference, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I know what, I, I, I know what hood rat means, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't understand where this whole kid in a giant t-shirt meme came from, but I don't know, man. I'm four, I'm 48 years old. I don't fucking understand yeah. anything with this, these kids and their internet. Jesus Christ. Come on. <laughs> well, uh, uh, all right, all right, Stephen. What do you got? 
Is it uh, your turn? Number two. Yeah. Let's see. Number yeah. two. It will probably be that never was released, and it's just imagine in the mid nineties, uh, someone took an unfilmed screenplay of Ed Wood and hired Billy Zane and almost. A lot of the big actors of the time, but made it into a silent film like Edward wrote it. And now right. I woke up early the day I died. Billy Zane yeah. plays a guy who goes insane whenever he hears loud noises, who robs the bank, but then falls in the grave and wakes up the next morning and his money is gone. So he spends the rest of the money trying to movie trying to get his money back. Yeah, I yeah, remember I hearing about this back in... A... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, I was, I was going to say, I remember hearing about this back in, uh, back when I was first getting into Ed Wood and really, like, uh, you know, researching his stuff and being amazed at the people they got, like, it's got Ron Perlman and Tippi Hedren and Christina Ricci. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it 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 was kind of uh I find it kind of funny uh because I mean Ed Wood did was always able to draw um big name stars from his era uh you know obviously we got Bella Lugosi and Vampira uh in in the original Ed Wood films so it's kind of funny that so many decades after his passing that he was able to draw big names into this film uh, uh like you said uh tippy hendren uh billy zane was in this uh Ron, yeah ron Perlman, Christine, yeah christine Ricci and vampire yeah again yeah 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 and it Super has billy cool. zane get the crap beat out of him by john ritter and uh Confederate colonel's outfit. Oh, that's right. I I forgot John Ritter was in there and Karen Black as well. Oh, yeah, uh, was in that. Oh man, I oh I'm I'm getting all kind I'm getting all kind of hopped up right now trying to think of yeah, all the people that were that it, movie. Watch it. Uh, There's no. Legal way to watch it right now because producers are in internal fight with each other, and Billy Zane has basically said in interviews this movie will never get released. Well, it's escaped on the internet, right? Yeah, you have to work to find it, but it's out there, just like uh, Paul Morrissey's Forty Deuce. Is that one of your other picks for uh, cult films? No, but I was going to mention that earlier. That's one Seb mentioned with 40 Dudes. Imagine, Seb, a Paul Morrison film about with Kevin Bacon as a gay hustler working on the dudes who has a little boy that ODs on him. So he tries to trick Orson Bean into thinking that he murdered the little boy so he can sell 
so he could blackmail Orson Bean. But Orson Bean goes into a freak out and hides under the bed, so him and Eastside Morales have to deal with that, too. All right, I'm going to throw this over to Sebastian. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Have you ever, have I, you ever heard I, of it? I'm going to be honest. I, no, I'm stumped on this one. Yeah. I'm like, come on, man. What, where, 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 uh, no. I don't think this movie exists, Stephen. I think you wrote it in your head. Yeah. No, it does. <laughs> Just look it up. And, uh, it never was released because the New York Tourism Board, and this is no joke, got it basically banned because it didn't expound their view of what they wanted New York to be seen. It was during the same time frame where Friday the 13th poster got pulled because it used the I Love New York thing. <laughs> Okay, Mark. And what is the title again? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, what was so this, this happened. Stephen? So you're saying you're saying this happened the same time as uh, Friday the Thirteenth, Jason Takes Manhattan. So, so they had to take the those posters down. Because Jason had the I Heart New York shirt on. Still there, Steven? I'm still here. Whoa, I don't know. Yeah, all right. All right, so whose turn is it for to, to talk about hey, another your movie? Turn. My your turn. turn okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I actually had five, uh, planned, but, uh, I don't know how much, I guess it's only 8.30. We've got time to talk about more, but, um, yeah, yeah, I got, I got, yeah, cool. Uh, my my next choice is 1982 and, uh, screenplay by Alan Brown and the cast is, uh, like I said, Kevin Bacon, uh, Orson Bean. Holy shit, I'm looking and at it I'm too. And I'm looking at the Wikipedia article for it. Yeah, I'm on the IMDb now. This is this is. Well, I'll be damned. You'll be a monkey's uncle. I sure will. <laughs> Yeah, I got it through uh, P.O. Screens, uh, one of the great marketplaces. All I seen was Kevin Bacon as a male prostitute. As a gay male prostitute, prostitution. Uh, directed by Paul Ward. I'm like, okay, in there. Jesus. I don't. I I do not believe I've ever seen it. Nope. Uh, I can't comment on that one. I don't think I've ever seen it. Well, what's your uh, what's your uh, your next pick? Um, my next pick is uh, the heart 
is deceitful above all things. Uh, uh. By Asia Argento. I'm sure you've both seen it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I I did. I had I had a strange fetish in in the '90s, um, and Stephen and I have talked about this several times. Um, you know, when we were growing up pre-internet, uh, I would always just go to bookstores and buy magazines, uh, you know, like Fangoria and Film Threat and, 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 and all of those kind of things. And, uh, and I found a book that was about the uh, 20 most disturbing films of all time. And so... I set out to find the 20 most disturbing films of all time uh, because I was, a, you know, a young skater punk kid, uh, you know, who played in a rock and roll band. Uh, so, um, but yeah, you know, back then there was no, there was no internet. There was no way to just quickly grab a copy of Solo or Last House on the Left, you know, uh, you had to really go search for that stuff. And as I've matured, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm proud that I have the entire 20 most disturbing films of all time, uh, as according to the book that I bought at Mr. Paperback when I was, 19 years old uh, uh, I, I I don't necessarily care for disturbing films like that anymore but I will say The Heart is Deceitful Above All Things does have some very disturbing scenes that uh, imply you know child molestation and uh, you know, violence against women, but it is a great movie, and it is my number two pick. <laughs> and after certain events in the news the past three days, one of the actors who played the child abuser in this movie will probably have to be edited out of the movie. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> You're a bad person, Brian Warner. <laughs> oh. but, well, yeah, what the I suppose it's my, from, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I suppose uh, I'm up next again and uh, uh my next pick is uh it's one of my 10 favorite films of all time. Uh, it's one of the most important films in the world to me. It's my favorite vampire film, uh, Lamora, A Child's Tale of the Supernatural, mm. which is uh, one, the only, the, yeah, the only film directed by Richard Blackburn, who also wrote Eating Raoul, and uh, it, it's an incredible movie. It's like Southern Gothic by way of Jean Rollin with a dash of Lovecraft. It's a it's a it's a, it's a beautiful haunting little fairy tale of a film. 
and, uh, and on I, behalf I, of the group out there, come on, Synapse, if you can release Massacre at Central High for 60 bucks in the still book, surely you can put out the Blu-ray and Lamora. Yeah, it's crying out for a new release because it needs to be rediscovered again because I think now more than ever, it would find the audience it deserves. Yeah. Yeah, and I love the way it's it, it, Yeah, it's like a dream. It, 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 yeah, it's an amazing. That, yeah, that's a great choice. That's an amazing film, and you're right. It is so uh, sadly underappreciated. And uh, yeah, we do. We that it's it's worthy of a of a Criterion Collection release. You know, I mean, we need like a really nice version of that it, it's a beautiful film it you know we need we need the best possible version of it that we can get yeah you know yeah yeah it's it's a film that um you know i discovered just by browsing online for vampire movies when i was in uh college and i ordered the dvd that synapse put out and i watched it one night at like 2 a.m and i think when it was over i pressed play again immediately. So I watched it twice in a row and I've, I've probably seen it at least 20 times since then. It's, uh, I adore right. it. So uh, this is kind of a sideways question, but so you're a big fan of vampire films. You, you, you seem to mention, you seem to be mentioning a lot of them uh, in your, in your uh, list of films that, you know your cult films. So you're a big vampire guy. You you like that? Oh a lot? yeah, uh, vampires are my second favorite subgenre, uh, next to monster films or creature features, and uh, uh, they're probably my favorite horror archetype as well. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, uh, I I was just I was just wondering because I noticed you were mentioning vampires a lot, so I just thought I'd ask. But uh, yeah. Uh, it, Myself, I'm more into like cryptozoology, like uh, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness monster. I, I'm interested in UFOs and and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, vampires, werewolves, uh, those those don't interest me as much. But I, I I mean, obviously, I do lean into it because I you know like what we're talking about tonight, like cult films, horror films midnight movies obviously i um yeah yeah, i i I don't know yeah uh the vampire and werewolf thing is only kind of like a marginal interest for me but uh i'm glad that there are people you out there uh you know you know the thing is like my introduction to horror was my introduction to horror was universal and hammer so my earliest exposures to the genre were, uh, you know, uh, Dracula and the Wolfman, Frankenstein. And so I, I will always gravitate to, to those. And uh, I'm a firm believer that, especially uh, when it comes to film more than any other medium, uh, the monster that you're afraid for is way more interesting than the monster you're afraid of. So I think that's why I gravitate towards those archetypes. Nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I. I uh, sorry, what was that? Yeah. I, 
uh, Deathline, the Gary Sherman film about the poor monster that's basically stuck in the subway because he's caveman. I'm really, really sorry. You just kind of blipped out at the end there. Uh, what I said is Deathline, the Gary Sherman film. Think of that one. I'm going to be honest, I have not seen that one. Oh. You're going to have to, like, send me the IMDb uh, link after we're done the show because I'm. Yeah, like I said, it's like the petty, pitiful monsters and the creature that's stuck in there is definitely that. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to check. Right quick here and see. Oh, do you know what? I apologize. I have seen it. It's just that I was thinking of it under its other title. Raw Meat. Raw Meat. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I have seen that, Stephen. You're right. And you know what? You're right. That is a beautiful film, and it does have an unexpectedly sympathetic monster. Yeah. Mind the doors. Yeah. And it has that bizarre cameo from Christopher Lee in it. Yeah. Where it feels like he was shot in a completely separate location and then pasted in after the fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's probably true. Uh, yeah. They probably just I've done, I've done, I've done similar things. Uh, I mean, come on, it's COVID. Come on, we got we got the COVID. And Christopher well, you know, even is... even prior to um even prior to um COVID, going as far back uh, far back five years ago when I tried to do my first feature, we got a uh, uh, Mark Borchard from American Movie in it. All of his shit was shot in Wisconsin and then mailed to us and cut into the film. So. Come on, don't tell me you just mentioned Mark Borchardt. Yeah, we had Mark Borchardt in, like, Animator. Uh, Yeah. Well, I guess I can just fucking spoil it now. My my number one pick for uh, favorite cult film is American Movie. Hell yeah. (laughs) Uh, I guess I don't really have to say anything about it in, in, unless any of our listeners haven't seen it. But uh, so, but I would be interested to talk to you two about this. Um, so American Movie is uh, a documentary about Mark Orchart and his friend uh, making a, ostensibly a horror film but also they're working on another more serious film at the same time. And uh, they have a wonderful Thanksgiving together. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, But, but, uh, but yeah, I, I have questions about this. Do you guys think that this film is an actual documentary even considering what Mark Borchardt has gone on to do beyond this, uh, 
Do you think this is a real documentary, or do you think it's more like a Spinal Tap-style mockumentary? Uh, well, I'm going to say it's a real documentary, and I can't go into further details about it, but I will say that I believe it's real, because I know for a fact that Mark Borchard does not like it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I've just, I've just yeah. always wondered. Like, I mean, like I said, I've I love even it. seen it's a, an interview with him once that he's like, couldn't wait to see this documentary of this movie. Get to see all of my work. And then he watched it, and afterwards he's like, my God, were we that incompetent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But they, but they weren't. They, they actually. I mean, I mean, you guys, uh, you know, you know me. I, I'm an, I'm an incompetent musician, filmmaker, comedian. I mean, I, I, I kind of just, I kind of like, you know, limp through life. Uh, so when I saw that, I was like, well, if this guy can do it, you know, I. I I, I never questioned it, but it just, yeah, I, I just always wondered if, if, uh, if it was really, you know, a documentary or if they set out to make kind of like, like I said, uh, like a spinal tap or, you know, at, at, you know, any of those, uh, mm-hmm. you know. I, I can see why you would think that. Yeah. Yeah. But and I and I've also seen him on like panels at uh Comic-Con uh like Troma. I went to Comic-Con and uh, there was a Troma panel and he was on there and he he kind of seemed like he was putting on an act like he you know, he got up mm-hmm. from the table and he was like you know, when, uh, when, when people were asking questions of the panel, he got up and was just like, oh, this is stupid. I don't even understand what any of these questions mean. And he got up and left. And so I, it kind of gave me like an Andy Kaufman feel, you know, like he was just kind of like, ah, you know, like it was a character that he was playing, not, not like his real personality you know so you know i think it may have been like maybe for a brief period of time he was trying to live up to the hype of what the documentary presented uh again i i'm not going to go into any details but it, mark borchard is exactly as you think he would be <laughs> right <laughs> yeah I appreciate that. Yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not pressing you for details. I, I, I'm just, I'm just happy to talk to you. I'm just happy to talk to you about it. Uh, but yeah. And if you want to see some vampire film, where is it? You know, God, I wish it was more places. Um, it's, we had a very brief Blu-ray run through SRS that sold right out and it'll probably never be printed again. But you can still rent it. It's only a dollar ninety nine. Vimeo on demand. You can stream it along with a short film of mine called Flesh Flower. Uh, the, the vampire film. It's called uh, Blood Rites of the Vampire. It, it's 
uh, I don't know how to describe it properly because it's a little Roland, but it's also a little German expressionist on a budget. It's um, very experimental, and I'm very proud of it personally. So would you say like German expressionist, like Fritz Lang or more like or, uh, or Robert Vine? Yeah, I I, I was also yeah. thinking um, uh, uh, David Lynch's Eraserhead. I feel like I feel that has a real like modern take on German yeah, expressionism. There's- there's kind of like a, a slight Lynchian vibe because we do go for some like industrial decay imagery here and there. But uh, no, our, the, the primary visual influences for the film were uh, Vines and old photographs of Theta Barra, stuff like that. So. Right. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, um, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but um, what what was the uh, what was the short film that they based Twelve Monkeys off of? Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do Do you ever think about doing stuff like that? Like, uh, like I've made a few short films, and I've used a lot of still imagery. Uh, you know in that in that same style do you ever think about doing stuff like that or are you more interested in like the fluid motion uh, of filmmaking i'm 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 much more interested in moving images if only because i uh a, a big reason why i love film is i love the way people move and i love physical expressions and i love body language and i love shooting people expressing themselves physically so i wouldn't want to remove any of that from my own experience as a director or from anyone's experience watching them right that's cool yeah no uh i keep saying that's cool like it's like it's like confirmation yeah that's cool man that's no i'm i'm happy to know it's cool it's good to know it's cool and it's not pretentious that's what i'm always afraid of
I was the only one who walked out of that festival screaming that didn't look like they got hit by a Mack truck. And we're just sitting there like, what the hell was that? Oh, man, what the hell? (laughs) That's not my kind of experience. Yes, Stephen and I discussed uh, a film in England on – uh, is this like the third different podcast that you and I have started together? <laughs> I think, but yeah. on one of uh, uh, yeah, on one of our previous podcasts, we discussed uh, a field in England, and we had to go into it. That was when Carl was still with us, uh, so we had to go into it saying, "All right, no one, you know, it was like a Hitchcock psycho thing." Uh, please do not reveal the ending of a field in England. <laughs> no one will be admitted after the mushroom scene. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Yeah, it's one of those movies that you can tell a drug movie because even the poster says, come with us and take a giant letters trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the background imagery is of a slice section of a mushroom. A magic mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I I love I love Ben Wheatley. He's a great he's a great director. I mean, it, I always have fun with his films, and um, you know, it it kind of goes along with what we were talking about earlier. Um, with David Lynch, like I love David, I love all of David Lynch's films, and I love all the Coen Brothers films. Um, ben Wheatley kind of falls in the middle, I think, of David Lynch and and the Coen Brothers, where his movies have have a they're dark, but they also have some comedy in there. Um, you know. Yeah, I, I I don't know. That's just that's just my take on it. Uh, you know. And it's uh, well shot in black and white, and it even has a mallet shot in it. And they make fun of it in the commentary. They're like, "Hey, it's a mallet shot. What do you mean? They're like, <laughs> look, there's two minutes of grass flowing back and forth. You're like, oh no, that's my only baba shot." He's like, what's that? <laughs> I I I I think probably um as I was mentioning the Coen brothers, um what's that what's that new uh show that they have on Netflix, uh the Scruggs the ballad of oh the ballad of Lester oh, ballad Scruggs. Lester yeah, Scruggs. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I I think that seems most like what I was trying to get at with my last comment. You know, uh, yeah, it's dark, but there's a humor to it. You know, and yeah. I I think that's why I was reminded of the Coen Brothers, but I don't know, man. Those edibles are kicking in, so I I. I We'll see. We'll see where this goes. 
have another one from. Uh, okay, go ahead. No, uh, whose turn is it? I, I mean, we got another hour before the show's oh. over. If if Sebastian's yeah, going to stick around, then, yeah, yeah, then we can just keep talking about movies. Well, I got blackmail photos of Seb, and I won't give him copies unless he takes the whole two hours. <laughs> All right. Well, he really does love uh, for his collection. All right, well, the conversation going. Here's another favorite of mine from the cult collection, Black Dynamite. Come on, baby. Everybody loves Black Dynamite. I'm not hearing a lot of support. Hold on. <laughs> It's just me and you, Seb, run out of credit. Credit, he says, thank you to everyone for uh, uh, being on. Oh, wait, there he is, I think. Yeah, no, I'm I'm here. <laughs> You're back. Oh, yeah, I'm back. Right. I ended up just yeah, getting Black some more. Dynamite is good. It's like every. It's definitely. I love the animated show better. And I haven't watched any of the animated show. No. Uh, uh, just imagine uh, Black Dynamite versus a battle, uh, post traumatic stress disorder, uh, Mr. <laughs> Rogers. And <laughs> one episode is, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Pam Greer. Uh, the guy who was in Black Belt Jones, Jim Kelly, and Rudy Ray Moore being kidnapped by, as they put in the episode, this is before he got convicted, state raping, yellow pudding, pop eating Bill Cosby because he's tired of them cursing. Hmm. <laughs> now, you know I love. Black Bell Jones and uh, I think that's a big part of the reason why I love Black Dynamite. I mean, yeah, it's not it's not just Black Bell Jones. You know, I love you know, yeah, Foxy Brown and all the seventies, uh, you know, black exploitation yeah. film. So, Black Dynamite was was a great. Uh, you know, gift given to me from the gods of cinema. Uh, but I also, um, I also really like it because uh, Michael Jai White, who plays uh, the titular, <laughs> the titular on the air, uh, Black Dynamite. Um, <laughs> uh yeah, uh, he he was originally supposed to be in um, Kill Bill Volume One. He was supposed to have a fight with Bill, and it got, it got cut and, from the uh, film. Yeah, in the in the re-edited version, I have Kill Bill complete bloody fair. It hasn't seen back. It's when they're headed yeah, towards yeah. timeline. 
yeah, if you have the whole bloody affair, you get to see his scene. But, uh, but yeah. And so what's anyway, funny is, uh, he when he does this stuff, the kung fu like the bad dubbing, he actually did it on set, and that's why you see uh, David Carradine and Uma Thurman break character and just has this big grin and about laughing on the set. <laughs> when he does the whole. <laughs> You killed my master. No, you must stop. <laughs> 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 uh. All right, who's got something else? Ah, uh, well, you know what? Since we're gonna keep going with uh, movies or cult films that we love, I'm just gonna throw out a Jess Franco title because I can't be on a show without talking about Jess Franco for a moment. So I'm gonna throw out Vampiros Lesbos. As a favorite of mine. Mm. Yeah. Oh God. I adore Vampiros Lesbos. Uh, Soledad Miranda is one of the most perfect, unique on-screen vampires. Uh, The film has shockingly rich, well-defined lore for a Jess Franco movie, and um, you know, it's a spectacular slice of very colorful, erotic pulp. And I don't think that. Franco ever made a better film in the horror uh, genre. Yeah, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, we're we're we were both gonna go in the same direction. Yeah, the soundtrack is amazing and the colors are so vibrant. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it, I, I I would agree. Best best Jess Franco movie ever. For uh, you know, just going across the board. Uh, yeah, you know, I agree. It might not be best written, best directed, but just yeah, the colors, the soundtrack, uh, uh, the talent, the talent. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, <laughs> you gotta you gotta you gotta get down here to Italy. There's some talent, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but no, it, it is a beautiful film. Yeah, and we, you know, we were talking about this earlier uh, when we were talking about like uh, the color out of space versus Mandy, and I said, you know, uh, for me, it's more about visuals. Uh, you know, I, 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 I do appreciate a good story. I mean, I'm a writer and a musician, and you know, blah, blah, stand-up comedian. I I appreciate a good story, but when it comes to watching a film, I really want the visuals, you know? Uh, and so... And I cracked that's up why. in Kill Bill when he walked out of the movie theater, and you can hear the soundtrack to Sam uh, Perils Lesbos playing in the theater. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I like if I had been yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's next? Who's got another one? Oh, well, uh, mine is uh well was it no Richard Linkletter from uh uh Slacker and Days of Confused and all that? But how about someone who was doing the same thing earlier than him, Eagle Cornell? who was out of Texas, and he was like, what if Richard Linklater had a lot of trouble with 
made one of the best films ever was L.K. Kit Carson. And Seb knows what famous Texas film he also wrote. Kit Carson. Kit Carson. I gotta think on him that for a moment. Texas Not a yeah, man. Are you serious? How yeah. did I not know that? I feel like such an idiot because that's my probably my second or third favorite horror film of all time. So. And Bill and Eagle got together and wrote Last Night at the Alamo. And, it's, and the whole film plot is these five guys farther that's about to close down and just stand around bitching in the bar the whole time. It's hilarious. It even has... Uh, LG from Texas Chainsaw Master to it. Oh, really? Yeah, Lou Perryman. Oh. I got to seek that out. Yeah. It, well, you can see it easy on YouTube, but, I mean, it is just, if you like Days Confused and like that movie's about nothing, it's hilarious. There's this one skinny guy whose name's Ichabod, and he's just angry throughout the whole damn movie for no reason at all, and gets so angry with his girlfriend, and he just starts talking to the wall because he says, you know, you're stupid, I'm going to call here, it makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that, that movie was, uh, I believe, uh, you can fact check me on this, but I believe that movie was was written by Kim uh, uh, Kim Hankel, oh, who wrote Kim uh, the Texas yeah, Chainsaw Hinkle. Massacre, right? Yeah, Kim Hankel. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, that that would be why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I I haven't uh, I haven't seen it either. I I I don't think I've ever seen it, but. You know, I've got it's my whole freaking life. And uh, Richard Linklater actually did a big restoration for it back in 2007, along with the Alamo Draft House. And then they didn't do a damn thing with it. Didn't release the DVD or Blu-ray or nothing. I don't understand that. It goes back to Lamore, too. Will companies take these movies, they spend the movies, or store them to make them look good? And then don't do a damn thing with it. Right. Well, you know, there's there's not a lot of uh, there there's not not a lot of reason to release stuff out on DVD and and video anymore because you know I mean for crying out loud, man, I still buy DVDs, but only because. I know that when the hey, you know, when the when the whole thing comes crashing down, I'm gonna wanna make sure that I still got my movies and T V shows that I wanna be able to watch. But mm-hmm. <laughs> not have to buy like forty million <laughs> streaming channels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, we have so many streaming channels here at the house, it's just like uh I don't know. It's a double-edged sword, you know. What are, what are we going to do? This is where we're at, you know. Uh, well, 
my wife my wife and I have a record player in every room of the house and uh you know like several bins of records that's the you know vinyl we're like all right if the if the grid goes down this is how we're going to survive right Uh, All right, so who's got another movie to talk about? We still got like 40 minutes. Yeah, well, I got a question for Sam. What was it about uh, Lycanator that its first uh, U.S. release was released cut? And your movie was that long to begin with. Those sons of bitches. Um, So here's the deal. Wild Eye Releasing picked up my movie, like Animator, uh, when it was uh, in post-production, and they wanted some form of evidence that the movie had been shot and completed, so I sent them a 45-minute rudimentary uh, assembly cut complete with, you know, you could still hear me directing actors behind the camera and all that. Uh, Certain scenes were missing, effects hadn't been added in, all that jazz. I sent that to them, prove that the movie exists, cool. Then I send them the final cut, which, like you said, isn't long. It's like 65 minutes or something like that. I sent it to them. I wait three months. I get a notification. Oh, your movie's out. Oh, that's great. I wish they had told me a couple days ahead of time. So I go and I, I start seeing these reviews pop up and they're mentioning things that shouldn't be there, like my voice. And I find out that on that first pressing, they released the rough cut of the movie. They released the rough cut of the movie like nationally into stores. And it took about four months for them to put out the proper finished version of the film on DVD. So that's the that's the story behind that movie's botched release. And you didn't get any ulcers over it. That proves that you're tougher than you. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just so tired. Like I think that was the moment that broke me. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit! But and you know, uh, I mean, fuck it. I've uh, in the past. Five, uh, four years. In the past four years, I've released five movies, and that's the only one I've had major issues with. So I guess that's something. Yeah, I hope I hope I hope everyone who's uh, listening tonight, or you know, uh, clicks on us on the website later, uh, checks out your IMDb page, man. You've got you've done a lot of acting, writing. Uh, directing and you know yeah you deserve all the accolades you know uh uh, not to toot my own horn but you know i feel like you know if if you do it then if 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 you earn it then you know you deserve it so uh i hope i hope uh i hope i hope being i hope being on the show tonight uh helps you uh Make some make some new fans. Thank you. That does mean a lot. And uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to act like all my movies are great. They're not. But at least two of them are watchable. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, yeah, I feel the same way about my short films. I'm like, hey, man, I've got five, and you will enjoy two of them. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, you want to come see my comedy show tonight? It's only $5, but you're not going to like it. (laughs) It's $5 for a reason. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and yeah. there's a true yeah. and there's only a one drink minimum, unlike that fancy club <laughs> across the street that's a two drink minimum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So one drink minimum, five. So it's going to be thirteen dollars, and you might hear a joke you like. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, and I've almost done like 600 episodes of this podcast, and I think there's maybe 20 or so of them that I would say, yes, this is the best I can do. And the rest of it goes, Tetsuo remains one of the most absolute punk rock 
grimy, insane, wonderful pieces of genre filmmaking ever made. Yeah, it, yeah I do remember it, when uh, that first came out. It was definitely one of those that everyone in the great market circuit is like, you got to see this shit, buy this shit. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what the hell was that? You're good, was yeah, but what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah, uh, I I I actually have a copy of that on uh, VHS. Not uh, that movie. You're right. That movie blew my mind when I saw it, and I again, uh, like I said earlier. My VHS, my DVD, my beta, my Blu-ray, all of this is stuff that I want to make sure I have when, you know, when the when the grid goes down. And, uh, yeah. yeah, Tetsuo the Iron Man is something I absolutely had to have. Uh, it It is, it, you can't even describe it to people. And the other the other side of that coin is you can't really show it to everyone you know. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. I showed it to one person. They said, this movie looks like you would get tetanus from just watching it. Right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's the same thing we've talked about before with, like, Solo. You know, when 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 we go through the most disturbing films of all time, it, 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 again, Tetsuo is kind of one of one of those things. Like like I just said, uh, not only can you not describe it to someone, but you can't show it to all of your friends. Same with Solo. Not only can you not describe it, you definitely can't show it to all of your friends. So, uh, I don't know, man. Yeah. But, hey. No, it's it's totally true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you for being on, Seb. It was great to finally actually meet you. It was a pleasure. We've been trying to do this for so long that it feels like a real yeah. accomplishment to finally uh, be on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was re- it was real fun talking to you, man. Uh, so catch up with us again sometime in the near future. Yeah, anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, okay. thanks for being here. Care, guys. Have a good night. And I heard you earlier on and elaborate a little bit, but yeah, when it comes to the late nineties, you come on the net and you would see this list. They call it most disturbing and most of the films on there I'm like why is this movie on there like everyone was like Shallow is the most disturbing movie of all time I'm like you haven't watched a lot of movies have you (laughs) yeah you and I have talked about this many times before and our our uh, our big um, our our big thing is every list of most disturbing films always ends with Solo, and although Solo is a fairly disturbing film, 
it it just feels like a weak cash out at the end of every one of the most disturbing films uh you know lists and yeah I, yeah it, it there there's no i mean what what would you say is the most disturbing film of all time are, uh, are you prepared seen... are are you prepared yeah. are you prepared yeah. to to put forth okay what's the most disturbing film you've ever seen I feel zeal Tom or goodbye Uncle Tom the Mondo documentary by Jekyll Perry and Perry. Mm-hmm. All right. That's the one where they basically go back. Well, they go back in time with a helicopter in the slavery days, and it just shows actual footage of historical documents of slavery and what the people back then actually said about slavery. You will feel like boiling your eyes and skin and just boiling water afterwards. It's just nasty. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've I, I've seen it, and you're right. It is it it is terrible. Uh, uh. Got a, uh, we made a mistake. Yeah. Mm, uh. <laughs> the 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 funny thing is the funny thing is that mine is also from the same filmmakers, uh, Mondo Kanye. Uh, I, I have a real problem with violence against animals. So, yeah. Yeah. So that one really gets to me. And, but it, it is, it's from the same filmmakers that you, that you mentioned for your most disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And Let's then do there's, uh, they also did uh, what? Uh, uh, Ideal Africa or Goodbye Africa or Africa Blood and Guts. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I have that. I have that box set. Um, yeah. Which which makes me question my own. Uh, mental stability when I'm like, all right, well, all of this is disturbing, but I guess I'll just buy the $190 box set because, hey, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's well, wrong Well, I have a single double feature a DVD of uh, the uncut versions of uh, Uncle Tom and Africa. Blood and Guts or Ideal Africa. Right. Yeah. We're disturbed gentlemen. We definitely, uh, yeah, we definitely torture ourselves with some of these films. But uh, this is a, a conversation I've been having with a lot of my friends lately. And I think it's an interesting uh, 
conversation that you and I can have while we're here on the air. Yeah. Um, you, you, you don't believe in like the whole cancel uh, culture, right? Like you don't think oh, that we Lord should. No. Yeah, you don't think you don't think we should be pushing aside. Uh, I, I mean, movies is one thing, and movies, I, I okay. Books and, yeah, I'm okay if if they want to put a warning in front of uh, you know, Gone with the Wind or whatever. It, you know, when you're watching it, but um, removing things is, uh, yeah. uh, I don't know, man. I, I'm getting a little stressed out about it. Uh, removing. No, no, I was joking about the whole Marilyn Manson thing, Heart is the People Love Her thing. I just wait. It's like when the Columbine shootings happened. The first thing I said to myself was, "We're going to go after the basketball diary." Yeah, <laughs> right. I like yeah. why? What have we known? DiCaprio in a long black coat shooting off a shotgun in class. Oh God! I'm like, yeah, they're going to go right after this. And then not even two hours later, boom, I was proven right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I I don't I don't wanna get too political here on our show because our show is mostly about pop culture and and that kind yeah. of fun stuff, but but what do you think about this Marjorie? Taylor Green, this chick is crazy. Oh, you mean the Jewish laser lady? <laughs> yeah, Jewish Jewish laser lady. Uh, when someone says stuff that even you wouldn't say, that oh. you have to make sure that you don't say when you're on drugs and edibles, sober. You know that something might be wrong with them. Are you there? Well, folks, I think you actually did die on the air. Oh no, your door's slamming. He's all right. Well, sorry. My neighbor got locked out and I had to, I had to go let him in. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I mean, there's movies. Speaking of her, there's movies like uh, Kirk Cameron Saving Christmas. And uh, a lot of the crazy Christian movies that just fit her perfectly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's so many of those movies that are just kind of 
like randomly weird nowadays. It it doesn't feel like they were always that way. Uh, you know what no. I'm saying? Uh, they're, they're like, the difference between Christian something people. like El Topo and Jodo Wharf stuff and uh, movies like uh, David Lynch's Wild at Heart, which back then it has a little bit of weirdness in it, but it wasn't that weird after Twimps and Blue Velvet. But nowadays, it's just very freaking weird. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I I'm kind of uh, I'm I'm kind of turned off by weirdness nowadays, and I don't really know why. Because uh, they I don't mean, cry I'm, anymore. I'm, they try to be weird for weird sake and don't put a plot in the story or something to go with it. Because if you do watch something like El Topo or Blue Velvet, are very freaking weird, but they do have a plot, a through line. Um, and there's a reason for it being made otherwise the other than weird. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, I think a lot of the shows that they, that they have on uh, Netflix and Hulu and Amazon nowadays, like the, you know, the, uh, you know, direct to those streaming platforms, uh, the sci-fi shows are, are really weak and they don't they don't have much to back up the science that they're pretending. I mean, I understand we're talking about science fiction and so we're obviously focusing more on the fiction, but come on guys. Like give give me something yeah. to root, for, you know. So yeah. There's too much gobbledygook and not enough hard time. <laughs> yeah, gobbledygook. It's like you, uh, you watching a movie nowadays or back then about someone being a DJ, and you just see them go up there and randomly turn knobs and move bobs up and down and then just whoop, 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 without any purpose at all. I think you're going, fucking come on. I thought you fucking do it. Yeah. Well, as you know, I am an actual DJ and yeah. uh I I I I go out and you know, put my turntables together and switch back and forth between two turntables while I'm scratching records. So, uh yeah, I, I I am totally on board with your assessment of this situation. Uh, yeah, if you can't fucking scratch a record, then get get away. Yeah, I mean, I've seen so many people like the, uh, I think it's 24-hour party people. We're just show this guy on yeah. there, 
scratching, slowly scratching, and just wham, wham, slamming it back and forth. And it doesn't just yep. sound like musical garbage. I'm like, what? Come on. <laughs> All right. So I got I got another movie I want to talk about. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Uh, brief interviews with hideous men. Have you seen this one? No, but I probably lived it. So it's uh, based on uh, it's based on a novel uh, uh, by uh, I can't I can't see it. <laughs> oh, don't worry, I it's have my parts like that all the time. It's based on a novel by David Foster Wallace, and it's directed by John Krasinski, who played Jim on The Office. Um, Mm -hmm. And and true to its title, it is Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. Um, Each person who comes through uh, is interviewed by a woman who is working on her PhD uh, in uh, I almost said like psychotic like psychotic tree but no (laughs) psychiatry (laughs) psychotic tree that would be a cool name for a metal band right psychotic tree No. Ah, toilet metal voice. (laughs) Right. So yes. Um. So it it actually is brief interviews with uh hideous men. Uh, the girl who is uh, the woman who is attempting to. Uh, attain her PhD in psychiatry interviews a bunch of men and that's the whole uh, crux of the film and so yeah she just interviews a bunch of men who are all despicable so um, I guess men are all despicable I mean I, I, I know I am but Anyway, um, yeah, so, so like I said, it's a fun movie, you know, it, it's a good movie, it, it pressing, but, yeah, if you're a fan of uh, John Krasinski from The Office, and there are a lot of other famous people in the film, so you can have fun with that, um, yeah. that's, that's that, so... What do you got? Yeah. As a musician, would you film a documentary that shows you uh, taking heroin on screen and nodding off with the needle still stuck in your arm and doing all sorts of drugs and have a scene where you're like on the plane and these four uh, roadies from your band are committing various felonies on a groupie off screen and you're just sitting there talking to the other bandmates 
drinking tea while being filmed. Do you ever think of filming something like that? Uh, I I don't think I would ever release it as a film, but uh, I know someone who did. Yeah, the Rolling Stones was cocksuckers blues. They released a film that after they seen it, they're like, my God, we just committed like 20 or more felonies on this movie. Yeah. You and I talked about this a little bit uh, the other day. I don't think they even seemed to understand how many felonies they were committing on camera. I I I I really don't. I I I don't think they knew it. I don't think they knew it, Stephen. I I don't. And it is creepy seeing Ron Wood actually shoot up heroin on screen and not off with the needle stuck in his arm in real time. Right? Oh. I mean, yeah, you can keep her solo. Cocksuckers lose just something to make you think, the hell were they thinking? Well, like like we've already established, they were likely not thinking. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, it's like the uh, it's like the Led Zeppelin story about the uh, Keith Moon bringing the baby shark into the hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you've heard you've heard the story, right? Camera of the gods. And I'm yeah. like, why did they let that book get released? So <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. But similar to what we're talking about right now, <laughs> why did this story get released? Yeah. Uh. Well, actually, it got released, and then the Stone saw they're like, no, we're going to soon make sure that you can release it. And the only way to legally see it nowadays is if you watch it with the director present. That's the only way. And the director has to get a special dispensation just to show it from the stone. There's only been like maybe 15 or 20 showings of it. Didn't really think about the gray market uh Era, did they? Yeah, no, you and you and I have talked about this quite often, and I, I don't know if a lot of our listeners or our friends uh, know, but yeah, there is such a thing as the gray market, and it's not necessarily illegal, but it's not it, necessarily legal. <laughs> well, but it does give you access to films that you might not be able to find in other versions. And uh, 
we joke we joke about it sometimes because you and I have both uh I don't wanna I, I don't wanna indict us, but you and I have both, you know swung through the gray market once or twice, you know. Grabbed some movies. Well, but. back in the nineties that's the only that's the first movie we got to see stuff like it was legal release like uh Necromantic and the films like that, uh, uh, the John Woo film. Yeah, 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 for sure. Oh, Necromantic, uh, well, we were talking about it earlier, Tetsuo, that's where I got my copy of Tetsuo, um, yeah, I, you joke about it. And the gray market guys like making money hand over fist. Yeah. And we we joke about it like, you know, when when we say the gray market, uh people who aren't uh aren't in the know think that it's like some dark alley that you go down. It's like, no, you just uh you know, buy a videotape from someone who Yeah, it was either who, a website. <laughs> Or some fat Frito smelling guy at a flea market who always had a uh, box of tapes or just a big list of yeah. food. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. You went to the flea market and there was always a dude who had the box under the the uh, the table and he was like, hey man, you want to get a little bit of this? Uh, you want to get a little? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's All right, you got another movie? Oh, sorry. Yeah. You got another movie you want to talk about? It's almost oh, ten o'clock. To my favorite, which would be the semi sequel to the X. When William Peter Batty wrote The Exorcist, he also had another book that he rewrote into being a semi-sequel. You remember the astronaut, Cutshaw, who uh, raked his hip while he was playing the piano and told him, you're going to die up there. Yeah, th- this is so weird, man. Uh, like, between... You and me and Sebastian, I think we all leaned into a bunch of the same books uh, and movies. Like, go for it, man. Tell your tale. Yeah, and after that, basically he had a cut. He had a breakdown on his way to go to the moon, and he ended up in this special asylum, which actually happened because when people, boys would come back from Vietnam, this is based on a true story, they would take them because they think that they were faking being crazy to get get out of fighting in Vietnam. So they would rent these castles from people who would give them to the them as a write-off, and they would use them as an asylum, and that's the ninth configuration. With Stacey Pete uh, as uh, Dr. Kane, who's coming in 
take over the asylum and be the head doctor. And there's no way to clarify what genre this movie is. Is this movie a drama? Yeah. And no, it ain't. Is it a comedy? Mm. Yeah. But it ain't. It has a little bit of everything in it, and it's just weird and funny. Just so you, you need to watch it just to see Joe Spinell and Jason Miller as two guys who are trying to put on Shakespeare's plays with dogs. You and, you and Sebastian both... Uh, had uh, random this is not the end of the night kind of uh, takeoffs. Is that what I mean? Take off? No. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> All right. So the last film I want to talk about tonight and I'm not sure if you're going to be down with this, but I want to talk about Cloud Atlas. You into it? Is that the one with uh, Tom Hanks and Holly Berry? Yes. Wachowski. But this one, you're screwing the dog. I'm just holding the head. Yeah. You really... You really disliked it that much? I mean, all right. I didn't dislike it. It's okay, but... So, let's go back. The Wachowskis started off... uh, What what was their first film there? Um, Found a lamp in the water. yeah, it was the heist movie, right? Lesbian noir. What 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 was yeah. it called? Uh, begins Bound. with a B. Bound. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So then we got um, then we got the Matrix trilogy, and although their names are attached to a bunch of other films. I don't think they they didn't direct uh, in any of those like middle films like whatever. No, uh, no they what, didn't direct. Uh, the second two Matrix films didn't make their money back, and uh, Speed Racer bombed. They didn't have that much hit much choice about projects they wanted to make until Cloud Alley. Right. Right. But, I, to bring it back around in our last few minutes here, I really do like Cloud, I, I really do like Cloud Atlas. Uh, I, I, I think it's a, um, it's a strange film, but that brings me back to what we were talking about before with like David Lynch style. You know, I'm a big David Lynch fan. So, you know, uh, I don't know. I, 
I enjoy Cloud Atlas. I think it's yeah. it's interesting. You know, uh, every I film fan. Cronenberg uh, are the only two guys out of the late 70s, 80s, midnight movie crowd to have their pretty much their own subgenre. Cronenbergian uh, films and Lynchian films. We've been enjoying the uh, the films of of Cronenberg's uh, 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 son. Have, have you been watching some of his newer films? No, uh, I need to watch Disaster. Yeah, yeah, he yeah he uh, he's doing he's doing well. I mean, yeah. It, I've heard nothing but good things about Possessor. Right? Now, what was all that stuff with Sebastian and vampires earlier? Come on, man! Yeah, that's his thing. He loves his vampires. And Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. I'm just being a shit. Yeah. Yeah. We had fun. We had fun. We, we, we went through like maybe three different eras of what a cult film could be. We went through the end of the midnight era, uh, the VHS cult film, uh, the gray market cult film, uh, the TV yeah. cult film. Yeah, and you and I have had this uh, conversation before uh, it, it, there's a difference between a cult film and a midnight movie and yeah. you know you and I have had this discussion on the show several times before yeah. and it, it's difficult to differentiate but there you and I both understand the difference, and I know that Sebastian does, and you know yeah. a lot of our other, a lot of our other friends do as well. But we, you know, I don't I, I don't know what else to say. There's a difference between a midnight film and a cult uh, film. You know? Eraserhead, a Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, Petzl the Iron Man, uh, DVD era cult film. What would you think would be one of the biggest cult films come out of the DVD era? Of it was the, basically discovered of the, on DVD. Recently discovered on DVD? Yeah, I, well, I, that could be I, 99 when DVD really hit. I would oh, say Echoes. You said what? Sarah's Echoes. El, El Topo? No, Stir of Echoes. The one with the the ghost story with no one went to see in theaters, but was one of the first DVDs all of us horror fans bought along with the uh, Blair Witch Project. <clears throat> Very interesting. And I would call Fight Club a DVD cult film. 
What do you got? I said Fight Club. But Fight yeah. Club? I mean, yeah. Yeah. But the only thing yeah. that's connecting them is they didn't either get a big release in theaters or they didn't do good in theaters, but they weren't the stuff with them until later after their main theatrical run. Yeah, Fight Club actually did have a hard uh, row to toe. Is that is that the is that the is that the phrase? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, because it was perceived as being. Uh, you know, potentially just violent, 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 violent every scene, uh, there was a real big pushback against that film. And as such, it didn't do much for theatrical release, but I agree with your pick. Uh, it did It did gain a big cult following. Uh, yeah. I have a copy of it on I I wouldn't call uh, Cannibal Holocaust, even though it was one of the top two bestsellers on the gray market, but one of the first things it was through the gray market was uh, basically you got sold a copy of Tetsuo the Iron Man. It was one of those, oh, I want to buy a gray market movie. Oh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Right. Yeah. Ah. And the gray market really wouldn't care if you bought like, well, Texas and Iron Man is only like an hour, hour, wasn't it? It's not that long. Right. Long and it was like watching Water Beats and you are Water Beats and the watch. You can buy them? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you, like like we were saying, you dig under some guy's desk for a minute uh, uh, looking through gray market tapes, and even if you think you found something sweet, by the time you get home and pop it in the VHS, it's uh, the VCR, rather, uh, you're like, hmm. This ain't what I wanted. Come on, man. Unless you unless you knew where to look or read the right books and stuff like uh, Danny Perry's cult movies, the Psychotronic Book of Film, uh, A Bullet to the Head, The Sex and Zen. Well, I, we we all. We all knew that stuff, but you know, we didn't always we didn't always go. You know, we all read those magazines and those books, but we we didn't always. When you're at some random uh, show, you know, you just kind of go and grab yeah. stuff. You know, so 
your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.